turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real-time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you'll experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture, dive into the new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Tyler Sumala, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm, I'm super excited about this conversation. Every time you and I talk, we just start talking. <laughs> we're, we're very much Here we are, 20 on, minutes into our call. Exactly. And we, haven't, we haven't actually we're, recorded the podcast yet. <laughs> exactly right. We've been having this long conversation. And we're like, hey, we should hit the record button and share this with our friends. So um, Tyler is a serial learner obsessed with helping architects optimize all things business development, marketing, and operations. And before transitioning into business development with our friends over at Monograph, Tyler worked in large and small architecture offices and ran his own architectural design studio for two and a half years. He holds a BS in architecture from the University, University of Michigan and an MARC from Princeton. Um, Tyler is currently creating a community of architects, the same community as ours. It's the same people. He's talking to the same people over Overlap. Tyler Tactics. He's talking about you know how to uh, help architects uh, communicate their unique value. Um, and he has a newsletter and he's got all kinds of things over there, tylertactics.com. So you should go check him out over there, doing a great job, super active on social media. You're probably already connected with him. Uh, but Tyler, thank you for coming by here and 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 hanging out and talking a little bit with me. Uh, this is going to be fun. Thanks for that intro. Yeah, I'm excited. Before we get started in our conversation, I want to know more about you. Uh, we've been talking, but I don't know your your story. I don't know your backstory, your origin story. So go back to um, where you discovered your passion for architecture and who or what uh, got you inspired, uh, who or what inspired you to to get started. Yeah. 
I think my passion, my, my passion is kind of embedded a little bit in like a passion originally for like art and drawing as a kid. Right. I think that's probably how a lot of people start. Um, My dad was pretty, is pretty artistic. Right. Um, We always did a lot of drawing and kind of caricatures and stuff growing up. I had a little bit of a, I had like a drawing room with a drawing table um, where I would constantly be copying things over. I'd draw, you know, anything. I'd just pick up the picture and try to copy it. I'm over in some kind of line work. So it kind of originally. what What did your dad do? As a professional, uh, my dad is actually he's a professional um, car buyer. So I don't know if you know this, right? So I actually grew up in the car business in the sense that you have car dealerships mm-hmm. and then you have car auctions, yep. and so there's the middleman, which is what my dad is. He he's the person that represents specific dealerships at the auctions and purchases cars for them so that they can take them to their lot. Oh, cool. So you grew up in the car world too, then? I grew up in the car world. Yeah. Is he? Is your dad an, a car enthusiast, or is he just? Is that just his his job? Um, not totally. Like not a car enthusiast. Like I know my way around an engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So not not in that way as much as like um yeah we we just like my entire my brother and I and my dad like we understand vehicles and their and their um value pretty well. <laughs> yeah. We just like grew up in that market, going to the auctions with our dad. Um, um, helping him bid for cars. So that was kind of a fun, that was a fun upbringing in that sense. Yeah. That sounds very cool. So, so your dad's also very creative. So you were inspired by him to, to be creative as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we used to draw together and and do those things that kind of faded a little bit. Like I was, you know, I was a pretty good student in like high school. So that fades away in the sense that like, I stopped focusing so much on mm-hmm. that as a career and it's like, oh, maybe I should do, you know, pre-med just like just like every decent student should right so i actually started off college studying neuroscience and i studied that for the first three years um i didn't take an architecture course until i was coming up on my senior year i was like it was i think it was second semester junior year decided to pop in and take a it was a freehand drawing course um in, in the architecture school um, and I was in that class for about 10 minutes before I was really questioning my entire <laughs> career choices. Um, just completely fell in love in that 10 minutes. The professor is amazing. Um, Melissa Harris, she's still there. She's just one of the best professors you'll ever have. Um, just That's it, Michigan? So, yeah, she's at Michigan. And um, just so emotive, so in, like just so passionate about what she's teaching. And I completely fell in love. Um, with architecture in that moment, decided to stop pursuing neuroscience um, and applied to the architecture program and was was able to get in there. So how did your um, parents feel about the shift? Were they concerned? <laughs> they took it. They actually took it really well. I'll tell you who I was most afraid to tell was um, I had grown up from high school um, working with a neurologist in my hometown. Um, and I would go back like in the summers and and I'd kind of like intern with him and help walking through patients and things like that. So I was much more afraid to tell him yeah. um, that I was switching careers than I was to tell my parents. My parents were supportive and they were kind of like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Like you are a creative person that obviously is aligned with like a career choice. Um, the neurologist took it really well too, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, can't be afraid. Can't be, it's never too late to make a switch. Right. I mean, if you, yeah. if you are really passionate about it, about it in that moment, like chase, chase the fulfillment over, you know, what, what you think society is applying you to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that we each have a path and our job is to find that path and then just keep moving forward on that path. And sometimes you're on the path that you think you're supposed to be on until you discover the one that you're supposed to be on. <laughs> Always. I'm pretty, yeah. it's like a five-year rotation, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, yeah. Sometimes those paths come to forks and you have to pick one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of similar. Like if, I mean, if we continue that arc, it's like, 
I, I do the normal things. I go to architecture school and then I go to grad school and then I go work at, uh, you know, an international firm. And then I decide, hey, um, I haven't really found a firm that I enjoy working in. Maybe I should start my own practice, you know, so I do a small studio um, there doing some residential and small commercial work. And then that's also a thing where I'm like, I'm not as fulfilled as I thought I was going to. Um, what can I do now? So I didn't want to completely forego architecture. I love architecture, but it was just like, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to describe. I mean, I think most people can relate to there's certainly a disconnect between education and practice. Right. So we all know about that disconnect. But um, then when you're actually doing it, I think especially doing it alone, I was just a solopreneur, you know, running that small practice makes it a lot more difficult. Um, So I was trying to find, you know, what can I do to still continue supporting my family, can still stay in architecture, but not be running my own practice or working at a firm. Um, and so that's thankfully where I discovered monograph, which is very focused on, you know, improving the industry, helping firms specifically, um, with a particular focus on, you know, their business, helping them improve their business and their operations, which, um, I tend to have a lot more passion about than the, than the, than the design side of things. It took me a while to figure that out, but, um, so I've really found the perfect fit there at monograph. When you, when you moved to monograph or, or had that opportunity, uh, and you saw what they were looking for and you, did you, did you know that that was an answer or did you just think, oh, this is my way out of my firm that's not working. And, and this is sort of the direction I want to go. How intentional was that as the next step? Yeah, it was, um, what was intentional was trying to focus on a different skill that I could like, that I thought would bring value to my life. So I, there was a, there was actually, there's a spacer in between the firm and be, in between my own practice and monograph. Yeah. And that was like, I actually worked at another small startup there for a few months in a, in a business development role as well. Separate from architecture or, or in architecture? Yeah, separate from, it was data analytics. Yeah, it was data okay. analytics. So it was, I had originally just said, I'm done with this um, for the moment. I, I hope I find something in architecture, but at this point, I'm just going to take what's given to me. Right. So I took I took like a sales role at a data analytics company initially for a few months. I was very closely watching Monograph. I saw them starting to grow their sales team. And then I reached out to them immediately, you know, for that for that position. So I was interested in the sales because I really enjoy like meeting with clients. I enjoyed that process when I was running my own practice. Um, And so I thought that was going to be a good avenue to pursue. Um, I enjoy talking to people like, let's just let's do this. That's essentially what what sales is. Um, if you, if you get down to the core of it, it's really just kind of communicating with people, um, effectively. So I've done that. I've since realized I was really actually terrible at, (laughs) at business (laughs) development and sales when I was running my own practice. Um, but that's, that's that realization that really was like the impetus behind, Hey, let's, let's start being a little bit more vocal on LinkedIn, not only about the challenges that I've had, but like, I know I was doing this wrong. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I've kind of learned that just from talking to friends of mine that run their own practices and, and things like that. It's like, no one is really alone in these, in these challenges and in these failures, especially in, you know, business development or in just the business side of architecture. Yeah. Sharing your knowledge is a very quick way to find a following, right? Yeah. That, that whether it's, whether it's your knowledge or your lack of knowledge, right? Being honest and mm-hmm. transparent about what you don't know, and then documenting the, um, the, the journey that you have through discovering what you don't know and, and learning how to proceed in the things that will help you move forward. Very, yeah, very much absolutely. how Entree Architect started. It was me just sort of out there sharing my knowledge, sharing everything. 
being very transparent in a time in architecture where nobody was being transparent. And that, yeah. <laughs> that resonated with a community of architects, which grew into yeah. today. I think that gets to the like the core, I think, fear that so many of us have is that we're the only one that's experiencing these pains, right? Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, I'm my, I'm the like, I don't know, I don't know actually how to run a business. Am I the only one? Am I the only architect that doesn't right. actually know how to run a business? No, you're not. No, yeah. I can tell you right. I've spoken to a thousand architects in the past year. No, you're not. No one, no one feels like they have this under control. So <laughs> being aware about that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. And and when then when you have an AIA or, or you know professional organization telling you not to share your share your knowledge, don't <laughs> talk about money, don't talk about fees. That's against the rules. Oh you know, you set up you set up a you know a, a you know a disaster where you have architects yeah. who are isolated and not knowing how to run a business and afraid to talk about it at any level because they're afraid they're going to get in, in trouble. That yeah. culture has shifted tremendously in the last ten years. Um, in our yeah. community, it's completely gone. Architects are no longer afraid of that. Um, but it took <laughs> us 10 years to get there, right? It took us 10 years. Yeah. When I started, people were constantly reminding me I shouldn't be talking about money. And it's like, no, I right? can talk about money all yeah. I want. Um, it's okay. So, yeah. It's okay. It's okay to think about money in a design business. It's not going to hurt you. Even, I mean, I, I post pretty regularly on on LinkedIn about you know, you should, you need to be increasing your fees. You are extremely valuable as an architect. You should absolutely be charging more for what you're doing. And I, um, almost always, um, I, you know, there's obviously a lot of people that feel that way, but a lot of the common, um, pushback I get from that is like, yeah, we need the AIA needs to be better about communicating the value of architects. And it's like, that's probably true. Yeah. AIA should be a little bit better about that, but guess what? If you're waiting for the AIA to change the public's perception of what the value of an architect is, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. That's great. Um, That's great. It's much better off just improving your own internal processes and, and your own understanding and your own communication of value. Um, that's going to happen a lot faster and make it much quicker. In yeah. And not only for you, but for the profession, right? If the entire right. profession is waiting right. around for the organization to fix itself, it's never going to happen. But if each right. individual architect fixes themselves and becomes more successful, more financially successful, more life balance successful, then the entire profession gets stronger, right? And and makes the profession stronger. And so, uh, yeah, it, individual architects focusing on their own success is is the answer to, the, to those problems. Absolutely, yeah. Small architects too, small architecture firms like we talk about. I mean, that's 80% yeah. of the, uh, 80 are, of the firms in the, in the U.S. are under, right. are under 10. So yeah, that's where we it's are at. The, 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 we are the profession, right? Yeah. We, we are the, the foundation and the roots of the profession. Um, and so if we do shift that and become more successful, we do literally shift the world uh, because of the work that we do. Um, a lot of what you write about, a lot of what you focus on is something that I hear about all the time from our community, even to this day, um, the value that architects have, right? And communicating that value to their clients, to the public. The public, general public, doesn't really understand who we are or what we do. Um, and that's a big problem. And uh, there are ways to fix that. And a lot of it is related to exactly what we're talking about in terms of, of fixing it yourself, right? Sharing your own yeah. story individually. And by sharing your own story individually, it, it not only attracts people to you, but it also, you know, uh, start to redefine what architects are and what we do. Um, that it, by, by focusing on it, do you write about that because you get that feedback by, because, because of the conversations you've had, you realized that, um, that that's a problem. 
Um, or is it something that interests you? And so you're writing about it because it's something that you're interested in. It's more, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's definitely something that I've observed just from having so many conversations, you know, with architects, um, through monograph and now, and now just through LinkedIn and things like that. I mean, there's just, there's this divide between the value that, you know, you're offering and then this concern of like, you know, the market. Right. Um, and the way that people are perceiving the market. I'm uh, sorry, I did air quotes. I realized that this is... <laughs> I, we heard it in your yeah. voice. Yeah, you heard the air quotes, right? Um, Experienced yeah, podcasters know when the air quotes are yeah. happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's the concern of like the market and what's the market going to choose and are my fees going to be undercut? Um, so, yeah, I really think it's just about you have to... The, the normal response, like, you know, when you talk to architects about values, they think, okay, I just need to get better at like pitching. I need to get like, I need to have this list. These are the 30 things that I'm doing to add value to, right. to your life through through hiring me. And I think that's that's probably the complete opposite, like see that and run in the opposite direction. Don't right. do that. We just <laughs> need to convince them, right? We just need to convince our clients that we're valuable. That's, yeah. that's, and the, it's not that's even... the typical approach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to kind of like strong arm him into it. Right. I'm if like, like if I can just show them so much, so much and tell them so much, eventually they're going, like, it's going to fall, right. That ship's going to fall and they're going to see it. Um, I have, I have since learned, especially in being in a business development role, it's, it actually is almost nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with the client and what problems they're facing and where they want to go. And kind of positioning yourself as the vehicle to get from where they are now and where they want to be. And that that's very much your role today at Monograph, right? Is reaching out to architects and finding out what their issues are and then trying to help show them that there's a there's a solution to some of those problems. Yeah, that's exactly how it starts. And I mean, whether that's a cold outreach or whether it's, you know, someone that is in like interested in your firm or interested in monograph or whatever, it, it starts the same way. It's like, you know, what what is your current situation? Like what's, what's the issue that you're having right now? What are those challenges? Um, Cause you hear that a lot. Like if you're talking to a small firm, right? A small residential firm and they're like, well, n- like they don't have problems. Like they're coming to me because they want a new house, right? <laughs> they want to, they want to build a, they just want to build a bigger house. And it's like, well, what's the problem with their existing house? Like no one just wakes up one morning. And I mean, some people do, but 99.9% of the population don't wake up one morning and think, you know what I want to do? I want to go spend $2 million right now to, to build my own um, custom home. It's like, there's there has to be pain, some kind of challenge embedded in whatever their current situation is um, that's causing them to, to want to do something like that. And the reason you want to f- like better understand those challenges and better understand that pain is because as we know, like working with clients is not a smooth ride. So you really need to know what that embedded challenge is so that you know that you always have something to fall back on throughout the entire process of the project, whether that's, you know, trying to, whether that's, you know, presenting them the proposal and saying, you know, you, you told me that these were your challenges. This is exactly how we're going to, you know, um, alleviate those challenges and, and solve this issue for you. Or whether you're getting to the, you know, construction administration phase and they're starting to build the house and they're questioning everything and they're thinking about pausing their budget. And it's like, no, you know, don't forget, you know, this is, these are the challenges that you're facing and this is what you're going to get out of it. So you just, you, you need to have that, you need to build that relationship with the client and really begin to understand them at a, at a much more personal level, um, how these challenges are impacting their day-to-day lives. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. 
This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by RCAT.com. Can't find the product data that you're looking for? You might be using the wrong search engine. Broad searches result in consumer products, out-of-date information, and websites that hide or don't have the information that you're looking for. If you need specifications, CAD, or BIM, RCAT.com is your search engine. Find and download the up-to-date data that you need fast. RCAT.com is free and requires no registration. So try RCAT today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How do they do that practically? If an architect has a new inquiry, right? Somebody emailed me today and said, hey, you know, I'm putting putting together a list of architects that I'm talking to, right? I just did air quotes. Did you hear it? Uh, (laughs) um, And and because we hear that all the time, we're putting together a list of architects and we're considering your firm for our project, right? That's the email that many of us get. Um, So how do we respond to that email? And what's what's sort of the process to take them from that? I'm talking to five architects to you should be talking to me and ultimately getting the job. Yeah. The first thing is is much face to fi- face to face. I don't, I don't face to fine. I don't know what that is. Um, face to face communication is possible. Whether and I don't mean like you don't need to be in person, but even if that's a video chat, like just yep. getting onto a call with them in some way and having a conversation, that's the first step. But I call that first meeting like at least on and I've learned on the tech side, right? We call that the discovery meeting, um, and it doesn't have to be super long. You know, 15, 30 minutes, whatever that is. Um, and the entire point of that meeting is to begin, like, is to set a foundation for that relationship with the client for one, but also to really begin to understand what are those challenges that that's leading them to want to, you know, implement whatever change they want to implement, whether that's a new home or a new office space or things like that. There's definitely things that you can do in that call to make them feel more comfortable, um, you know, to begin diving deeper into the challenges that they're having. Um, a few of those right off the bat would be top of the call. First thing you want to do anytime, whether whether you're meeting with a, an existing client, whether you're meeting with a new client or a prospective client, um, is build rapport. Right. And building rapport is really simple, right? It's it's super simple. It's just you find something that connects you and the other per- like the person on the other end there, right? Whether that's you grew up in the Midwest or you you know you've traveled to the same location or you like the same musician, anything like that, and that you know, that's like five minutes of research up front, you know, just like whether that you're looking on their LinkedIn or maybe on their company bio page, just finding something to capture and spending the first few minutes of that call sharing, sharing a connection with that person, right? This makes a huge difference because it gets them comfortable right off of the bat. So, um, so that you're already kind of, you're, you've, you've taken something that would usually be a very superficial meeting, very business oriented, right? And you've already broken that barrier down into something a little bit more personal, right? So you now have a connection with that. The second thing is just to make sure that that meeting is that you're actually going to talk about what you need to talk about that at that meeting. And the way that you do that is just an upfront contract, right? You build that rapport and then you say, Hey, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited. This is my goal for this conversation. Hey, I want to I want to understand um, what's leading you today. You know why why you're attracted to us for one, but like what is the challenge that you're having? I mean, why are you interested in designing a new house, for example? Does that sound fair to you? Yes, that sounds fair. So that's going to keep the conversation. That's going to keep you from going off in tangents, right? Um, 
And then after that, it's just really about asking good questions. It's about becoming a lot better at asking questions and understanding the triggers, like those trigger moments where you hear something and you're like, ah, that's that's a challenge. Like we should dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, I'm a huge fan of open-ended questions, right? We tend we tend to get into those meetings and and ask things like, all right, so you know, what's the square footage of the house you want? How many bedrooms? <laughs> right. How many bathrooms? Right. And and you walk away and you're like, all right, great. I've I, I know exactly what I need to do. I'm gonna plug this into my spreadsheet and I know exactly what fee to offer them. Um that's the most that's the most impersonal way you could potentially like build a proposal and also a really good way to just kind of put yourself into that range where you're just like one of five companies and they're just going to end up choosing the one that's offering the lowest fee right because you haven't you haven't shown them that you have any more value to right. offer to them you're simply a commodity right yeah you've just commoditized you've just commoditized your services along along with all of the other firms so that's what you want to ask more qualitative questions right you know what what's what's the situation in your current home for example um you know oh your kitchen is too small how does that impact your day to day oh well you know it <laughs> i we can't have the entire family in the kitchen when we're building things and i'd love for my kids to work with me okay um what would you know what would it what would the ideal kitchen look like to you like if you could if you could like have the entire family in it, what does that look like? You know, so you really begin just diving deeper and you're, and you're almost taking them through that process of like awareness. Like you're helping make them, you're making them aware that they have this challenge, right? And then you're also showing them the impact of that challenge on their day to day. And then you're allowing them to envision right. what life would be like if that challenge didn't exist. And you just do like you, you just cycle around, right? You're just doing that over and over to understand what those challenges are. When you walk away from that, you might not have as much quantitative data, but you have so much qualitative data to go back with that when you meet with them again to like walk through the proposal, you can say, hey, um, it totally makes sense. I know you were telling me these are all of the challenges you're facing. Um, this is exactly how we're going to solve it. Just like we did for family A, family B, and family C this way. Um, and these are the three options that you have for working with us, which one works best for you. You know, So it's really about kind of really understanding them and building that story up. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that you walked us through that. It 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 also sort of leads you. We've we've talked in the past about uh, value pricing, uh, about mm -hmm. you know rather than pricing it per square foot or hourly, that you actually find out through that conversation not only what their pains are, but you know what is that solution worth to them, um, and then coming back with a fee that they're going to expect, right? That 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 they they you come back with the solutions. Right, the potential <laughs> solutions to all those pains that they've they've expressed, uh, and a price that's valuable to them because now you've established yourself as a valuable um, uh, problem solver. And here's what the solutions to your problems may cost if you work with us. Yeah, totally. and you've completely differentiated yourself from the other firms, right? So the other firms exactly. are over there being like, "All right, this is what it would cost to build you a new home," and you're like, "All right, this is this is the value that we're providing." And this is the very small fee that we're taking for the giant ROI that you're about to get in your life. Right. 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 And it may yeah. be a lot more than those other firms are charging. A lot more. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But they be. see that there's value in paying, paying that extra cost. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly I when I was going to say the same thing that, that, that the, um, that it is a differentiator, right? The process mm -hmm. differentiates you. The proposal will differentiate you. The price will differentiate you. And so no longer can you be compared to those other four architects that are just out there, you know, putting together a price against the program. Um, yeah. 
they can't compare you anymore. So now they either have to choose, is, is it more important to do the cheap price, which then kicks you out or mm-hmm. do, am I going to go with the the firm that's going to solve my problem and understands me and I've built re- a relationship with them and I like them and all those things right now that you're being compared between those two yeah, choices. They care, they care about me, right? Yeah. yeah. And if they're going with the firm just for the lowest price after you've done all that work, then thank you. <laughs> because yeah, I don't want exactly. that job. I don't want that client. Yeah. I want, I'd rather hold that slot for the client who does value me and does understand what we do. Uh, because every yeah, time you pick it, one of those other low price jobs, you just fill the slot that you can't take your right client. Yeah. And it's a, that's a huge part of the qualification process, right? Like we want, we like to think in turn, I mean, especially when I have started my own practice, right? It's like, oh my God, any, any job that comes through the door, like, please choose me, <laughs> please. Right. Um, I'll take, I'll take any project I can get. Um, but over and you know, initially you can understand, like, it's really just about having as many conversations as possible, beginning to understand what you like and don't like working on what a good client and what a bad client is. So that's, that's just like a growth process that, you know, everyone kind of has to go through at some level. Um, but you definitely just want to get better at that qualification process and being able to identify what does a high quality client look like to you and how willing are you to go below that level in order to just bring revenue into the firm, right? Because you, you ideally, like you really don't want to go below that too often because that leads to burnout, that leads to high turnover rates in the firm um, versus focusing on those high quality clients, right? And being sure that you're bringing them in, you're keeping morale up, everyone's excited about the projects that they're bringing in. They enjoy working with them. It's not bringing them anxiety to work with a client. Like it it brings them energy instead. So it just, it really impacts it all the way through. And that starts with building those relationships before you ever even sign a proposal with a client. Yeah. That, that also talked about commodity a little bit that also sets you up as an expert, right? That, Mm -hmm. that process that you just described, Tyler, sets me up as a as an expert not necessarily a service provider right when you're a service provider you're putting out a, prov- a service and you have clients above you saying which of these service providers am i going to pick to provide that service for me right i'm the boss as the client you work for me but if you're an expert then the, then you're on top right you you become the expert and the client is coming to you and saying expert i i have a problem you are the expert help me through the process of solving this problem. It's a totally different yeah. position. Completely. I completely, it's taking commoditization completely out of it because the, I mean, that's another common thing, pushback that I'll get if I talk about increasing fees. It's like, I don't want to be undercut. Undercutting can only happen if you are presenting the same value as everyone else. Think like, think about it. that's the only way that you could ever be undercut as if if is is if a client is looking at four different options for an architect and all four of them are just offering a custom designed home, right? And then obviously, like, why wouldn't they choose the lowest fee? That, right. That's what makes the most sense, right? There's there's no there's no difference between them. So you want to separate yourself from that by by building those relationships and offering a unique value, finding that unique value, which really is is it's like eighty percent relationship, and then it's like twenty percent, like you know, we're really good at staying on time, you know, keeping projects on time and on budget, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all part of your brand. The, the, um, and it takes practice, right? That the first time you do this, if you've been doing it the (laughs) other way, which most of us have been doing it the other way for for a long time. Um, the first time you do it, you'll feel like you're not good at it, right? That you'll say the wrong things or ask the wrong questions, or it won't work the way you want it to work. And you may lose the job. Um, but don't give up doing it and you'll get better at it and you'll get the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And eventually to become the way you do it. 
um, and you'll be much more confident and your your conversion rate will go through the roof because you're because the system will work. and your yeah. and your position will will be better and that that differentiation will get better and everything will shift um, and so try it and then figure out stick, what didn't and work stick with it <laughs> adjust it and do it again um, and don't don't quit keep keep presenting yourself in that way and to show the value of you of who you are as an architect yeah and actually, Fantastic. if you if you sign on to the plug, shameless plug, if you sign yeah, on to TylerTactics.com, right, I think one of the very first emails I send actually shows you um, my three most popular newsletters. And um, one of them is is directly focused on this process that I just talked about, which is like the discovery call, I'm walking you through it and exactly like how you can set it up in your own in your own process. I love that. Excellent. Uh, TylerTactics.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. Um, and when you do that, say, hey. I heard you on the Entre Architect podcast. Do it, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Tyler, this is awesome. Um, that's super valuable to, to and, and I love how we walk through the process so people can actually say, okay, here's the steps that I need to take. Um, if there was one thing that a small firm architect should do right now, that first step, that one thing to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that one thing be? Um, begin tracking your performance. Like whether that's whether that's your sales pipeline, whether that's your time, whether that's your profit, you need to, if you don't track it, there's almost, there's a 0% chance of improving because just by definition, improvement requires an X and an Y and a difference between them, right? It requires a Delta. So if you don't know what that Delta is, then you can never really say that you're, that you've improved, right? So that's by far the most important, in my opinion, by far the most important thing you can do is just begin tracking in any way, shape or form so that you can begin recognizing and analyzing and implementing changes into your firm. Love it. His name is Tyler Sumala. Um, you can learn more about Monograph at monograph.com. Uh, you should go sign up for Tyler's newsletter at tylertactics.com. You can learn all about what Tyler's doing over there. Sign up for the newsletter. Read the newsletter because your newsletter will go into an inbox that has 10 other newsletters. But Tyler's <laughs> newsletter is actually worth reading. So make sure that you put it in your in your whitelist and make sure that it comes through and you read each one. TylerTactics.com. Tyler, thank you. Thank you not only for showing up here, um, but thank you for doing the things that you're doing out there in your Tyler Tactics world, um, posting on LinkedIn and, and throughout social media, being out there, sharing your knowledge, uh, acquiring knowledge from others, and then sharing that as well. well you're doing a fantastic job. You're, you're helping the profession become a stronger profession, uh, and you are an ally to me and to Entree Architect. So I thank you for that. And thanks for coming by here and sharing your knowledge at Entre Architect Podcast. Really generous. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. You are the OG of being transparent about these <laughs> challenges that, that architecture businesses have. So that one, it means a lot coming from you, but um, every single person should be involved and embedded into Entre Architect in some way, especially if you're listening to this podcast. I appreciate that, Tyler. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. 
That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think, 13 podcasts over there now. GableMedia.com. And before we wrap up, a special thank you to our partners at Graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to BIM with ARCHICAD software. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash EntreArchitect and see how Graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success. Visit graphisoft.com slash US slash EntreArchitect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. Are you NCARB certified yet? Join the network of over 45,000 architects who have the NCARB certificate to expand your professional reach. By becoming NCARB certified, you are demonstrating that you've met the national standards for licensure a qualification that can be an important factor for firms when hiring and promoting. Certificate holders have a streamlined path to apply for a reciprocal license in all 55 U.S. jurisdictions, as well as access to an extensive library of free continuing education courses. Learn more today at ncarb.org. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.